Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a session from DFARM's 2019 Pharma Innovation section, where Genentech's Aaron Mann addressed the use of historical data to transform clinical trials and how to rethink clinical development. For details on the 10th annual DFARM event, visit theconferenceforum.org. Enjoy the podcast. So in this presentation, we're going to talk about a couple of things, but, but in this presentation, there are a couple of specific calls to action that I hope you can take back to your organization. And you come out of a conference like this really inspired, but then there's always the question of, okay, now it's next Monday. It feels like the conference was a month ago. What can I do to change my organization or drive this kind of, the kind of transformation we need forward? So I've got a couple of calls to action embedded in here um, and a little conversation on real-world data, too. So I think if you think about our, our essential problem here, we're doing clinical trials the way we always have. The first recognized clinical trial was a six-arm trial in 1747. It was for scurvy. Fruit works. Um, what we would consider the first modern trial, double-blind, placebo-controlled, was 200 years later for streptomycin. 70 years later, we have not fundamentally changed how clinical trials are done. We've gotten a lot more sophisticated in our methods, in our approaches. We've applied technology, but we haven't fundamentally changed the way that we do clinical trials. So our challenge collectively is not to wait another 130 years to make that kind of a change, but to do something that is going to radically benefit patients now. So quick introduction on Transcelerate. Um, I'm sure most people in the room know. If you don't, it's a collaboration between 20 industry sponsors. And across Transcelerate, um, we have over 27 initiatives spanning the range of clinical development and preclinical development in the Biocelerate initiative. And today, we're going to talk about two of those, our historical trial data initiative, which is affectionately known as PSOC, or Placebo Standard of Care, and our data sharing platform, Datacelerate. So the essential problem that we're seeing is patient populations are actually shrinking for us. Um, I, I wish that meant less people were getting sick. That's not the case. But over the last 20 years, we've developed so many new ways to target through precision medicine, using different biomarkers, patient characteristics. And we are doing, you heard about it this morning, Scott Gottlieb mentioned it about being very specific in the targeting of our molecules and how that's causing some issues in a more general application of therapies. But the issue that we are all facing is it's hard to recruit patients. And it gets harder when you start segmenting. And we are really doing a great job of segmenting but it is making it really tough to recruit patients. And I think you only have to walk through the hall to see how many people are trying to really innovate in that sector um, and help us meet this challenge and really meet the promise of precision medicine. But we don't think that's gonna happen again unless we fundamentally change how we're doing things. So the Placebo Standard of Care Initiative, it's the least sexy name you can imagine. It was almost like coming to DFARM and being historical trial data. I was like, okay, that's not real world. People are going to think like, well, that happened yesterday. Um, but we actually have a pretty big initiative, 16-member uh, companies, 
are sharing de-identified patient-level control arm data. And what's really important about it isn't the size of the database, we'll talk about that on the next slide, but it's actually how we share data. So we have a blinded request system where any member company can ask any other member company for particular trial or trials. And if it's shareable, we share it. So we wouldn't know if it was Amgen or GSK or Pfizer asking for a, a Roche trial, um, but once we share that trial, it's freely available to all the members. So that grows the database, but what is important is we know that every time we're putting the effort and the energy into sharing that trial, it is gonna power a specific use case. And that's really powerful. It's a big internal motivator to our data sharing teams, um, knowing that there is a direct use for the data. So currently there are 136 trials available, um, about 87 more in process for sharing. And what's also important about the data is the use cases that it's driving are, there's over 20 value stories. Fundamentally, they're answering one of two questions. They're answering, do I have enough data? Data at scale. Can I power my analysis with enough information, especially as we start segmenting patient populations? It becomes more and more of a challenge to get the right analysis data set. And so that's the first question that a lot of our use cases are answering. Is there enough data? The other question that the use cases generally answer is, is my data biased? Um, is my conclusion an artifact of the way that maybe Roche does trials that, and, and is it still valid if I include other sponsors' trial, trial data that may have been gathered differently. So that third party confirmation of my analysis is another big use case that we see the, the data sharing um, value stories used for. So we could talk, we could spend at least an hour talking about the value stories, but the exciting place that we're taking placebo standard of care and really our North Star is control arm supplementation. And Benefits are clear. The number one complaint patients have about hesitation to be on a clinical trial is I might be in the control arm. I go through all that effort and all that rigor if I'm not going to get the active treatment. And we know that there is a patient benefit by not having patients assigned to control arm. We also know that it's going to accelerate the drug development cycle. The important thing is Regulators recognize this too. We're actively engaged with MHRA, with EMA, and particularly with the FDA on designing control arm supplementation pilots, specifically because of that kind of a North Star. We know that there is a patient and society benefit. And it really helps to move regulators' way of thinking if there is that kind of North Star. We also have to look at the ethical considerations with everything we've got at our fingertips, is it really ethical to still put patients in a control arm? And particularly in those uh, trials that have placebo, to put them on placebo. So there are a number of ways that we're looking at addressing the regulatory concerns around control arm supplementation. And it really comes down to 
applying the right kind of analysis to address basically two big buckets of regulatory concern. So the first one is operational. Can they trust the provenance of the data? How do they know that that new sponsor didn't cherry pick? They didn't manipulate the data? That it's the same data that sponsors A, B, or C contributed into the original data set? So that is kind of a traceability issue. And you can imagine it's a long journey for an investigator that's used to being able to go visit a site, right? Um, the second big bucket of um, challenges that we're addressing are the analysis challenges, the statistical challenges. How did you downweight it? Did you use Bayesian priors? What methodology did you apply to be able to supplement and take patients out of that concurrent trial arm. And this is a really exciting area. We spent the day yesterday at Harvard with a team that's looking at different approaches. They're writing a paper on the different approaches to actually address this challenge. I thought one of the most exciting things to come out of yesterday was really developing the idea of adaptive trial design, where you've got the concurrent um, arm running, you have your sort of, let's call it synthetic control arm, if they're performing similarly, you can start pulling patients out of that concurrent arm and putting them on the active treatment. So you think about just the impact of that on retention, um, knowing that you're able to dynamically shift the mix in the trial as you move forward. So these are all the things that are happening now, and again, we expect to be piloting in the next six to 12 months. But that's just the starting point. And I think one of the things that we see in our organization and we hear from other organizations is this parallel pathing of real-world data at the same time. And what I think is important here is how do these work together? We have this clean, curated data. It's kind of the antithesis of real-world data, right? It's, it's in this contrived, controlled environment. Um, but we know where it came from. And to the point made this morning, you know, we're trying to control for as few variables there as possible, which gives us a lot of a specific kind of information. At the same time, we have all of that amazing real-world data that is coming out of EHRs, EMRs. It is exploding, and we actually have the analysis tools to work with it. In our organization, we're definitely looking at these things in parallel, and we shouldn't be. And we're looking at how do we break down those silos in our organization so that we are looking at the totality of the evidence to be able to drive clinical trials forward. And so my first challenge or call to action is go back to your organization, and if you're feeling this, if you're feeling like we have a real-world data path, and then we have a clinical trial innovation path, and they aren't in lockstep, they're not figuring out how they can reinforce each other, that's a bridge you can build. And it makes a ton of sense to, and taking that back to our organizations and driving this forward with regulators, we end up in a place where we don't need to have concurrent control arms. Where today's active arm, if it becomes the standard of care, is tomorrow's control. Because if you add together the kind of clinical data we have on ActiveArm with the kind of information we have through real-world evidence, you end up with a complete picture and so much information to work with. So again, totality of evidence, and I think we can move to a place where we can substantially eliminate control arms 
concurrent controls in most cases. And that's provocative. That's a big North Star, that maybe a step more than we would talk to regulators about today, um, because supplementation is already a big step. But I think from an organizational standpoint, we get really excited about that kind of a vision. So I want to shift gears a little bit in the last couple of minutes and talk about Data Accelerate, our data sharing platform that hosts all this trial data. So Data Accelerate came about because we had, we recognized as sponsors, data sharing is an imperative. And you heard Scott Gottlieb kind of a little call to action this morning for we've got to share data, we've got to share information wherever we can, whenever we can, if it's pre or non-competitive. And as sponsors, we couldn't agree more. So there were a lot of reasons that we want to use the data, but the recognition that Transcelerate had was, well, there's all these opportunities to share data. Maybe we should have one platform. Instead of standing up a new data sharing platform with all the security that sits around it and everything else, every time we need to start a new initiative. So Data Accelerate is Transcelerate's data sharing platform. Right now it hosts background control and toxicology data in the non-clinical space, and it hosts the placebo standard of care historical trial data in the clinical side. We're looking at now four new business cases for basically standing up new data marts on the Data Accelerate platform. I think when you think about a data sharing platform, there are three components to it. And I loved hearing that the technology wasn't that hard because it's not. Big shout out to Accenture Life Sciences. They've helped us build the platform. It is a terrific technology platform. Um, but it's only one piece of the puzzle. And after spending the last year plus trying to accommodate legal agreements around data sharing to GDPR, I can say that legal by, uh, circle is by far has been the hardest challenge. And it will continue to be because the, the interpretation of GDPR is evolving almost by the day. So when you think about any data sharing platform, it isn't technology, it is technology plus the legal framework that sits around it. And then there's the governance that sits on top of it. That's where you maintain platform integrity, but it's also where you can define the business rules around what kind of quality is coming in here. What kind of context do I need? What kind of supporting documentation does a user need to really be able to effectively um, consume that data? So when you think of it, it is that, that the three of them living together that is the big challenge in building any kind of a data sharing platform. And that's why we don't want to build it over and over again, because it's hard enough. Concluding in my big call to action that you can around data sharing is now, our challenge with it isn't regulations changing. With the kind of North Stars that we've got in terms of patient benefit, regulators want to make these changes. They want us to share more data. They're asking for us, particularly in rare diseases, to share more data. And it's definitely not the mechanics. We're going to figure that out. We address that. But it's the mindset within our organizations. We have this within Rush. You know, I, I have no idea what we'll do with this data, but I'm going to hold on to it because it might be valuable in some, in some way down the road. So my challenge is go back to your organization and really get clear on what can you safely share and change the bias from I'm going to hold on to it to I'm going to share it so that we can drive the clinical trial transformation forward. Thank you. 
We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For information on the 10th Annual DFARM, visit theconferenceforum.org.